guys, um, welcome back to my podcast, You Don't Have The Rage. I'm laughing because I don't thought I clicked the record button and um, I was so engrossed with what Ola was saying that um, I forgot to press the record button. But yes, welcome back to my podcast, You Don't Have The Rage. I'm your host, Cecilia Owosa. Today, we are going to be talking all things black motherhood, all things to do with also like families and rearing black children and what that's like, like being a black mother to black children. And we're going to be discussing that with Ola Pelo Vangu. And we did introduce her, but we're going to do it again. How are you? No, it's fine. These things happen. I think we've all got used to the fact that you're either saying take yourself off mute or you're either like, yeah. So I once, like, just quickly, I once shared my screen on, like, when you were sending a personal chat when I was doing a proper work meeting. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy showed up in his do-rag. Then I was like, who's going to share the presentation? I shared my screen. My chat was still on the screen with the guy on the do-rag. And everyone was like, so... There are things like that happen. It happens, like, and um, you shouldn't have showed up to a proper meeting with your camera on, with a do-rag on anyway. And he's lying on his bed with his leg up in the air. And it was the most funniest thing ever. But thank you for having me on today. And we have just had a quick five-minute pre-chat before we (laughs) hit the record button. Um, Yes, I'm Ola Pelavangu. Um, No, like, I'm Ola Pelo on Instagram and on TikTok, uh, the Pelo fam. A lot of people know us as your TikToking, plantain-loving family. And yeah, we're full-time content creators, thankful and humbled to be in that position where we transitioned to full-time content creators just over lockdown. So I'm mm. sure about that. But thanks for having me on. You're, you're so welcome. And, and as I said, like, I don't even remember when I started following, following the Pelo fam, but like, I just did. And like, usually... I'm not gonna lie, usually I actually don't love some family content. Sometimes I find it a bit forced mm. and a bit a bit like, oh, you're forcing your kid to do something cute. Yeah. Whereas with you guys, it's so organic. And by the way, if you guys haven't seen Baby Dream, oh my gosh, he's like the cutest. Like <laughs> I almost I almost want to eat him. Like he's so adorable. Yeah, he's, he's so cute. My like is just super just confident like she literally has the confidence of a 35 year old woman working in the stock exchange I love it I love that for her yeah yeah and Michael Remy's just started my middle son she's starting to find his voices and stuff as well but um, I think we'd always wanted a big family we initially said six and every single time we have one we kind of drop it by one so we're at three now so and now we've got a puppy as well like that's like another baby entirely um I'm looking at the prince he's left on the door here like and it's just like but yeah it's just so nice to be in the space and to be sharing the space with um so many other families and equally I feel like what we're doing with content is like education through visibility and you mentioned something about like um having organic and authentic content and we really try like I will never make Maya repeat something that was funny for stories because mm. she used that sort of natural yeah bit. she said it and then I missed it on camera I'll explain it and a lot of people people would be like did Maya really say that and you'll see from our recent um IGTV that I did with her recently and I let it free flow we literally just record it there's no editing you can see it doesn't is is that the question and answer one yeah yeah and that is her naturally so I feel like people still only just see a part of her and she's actually more hilarious and I think some of those moments are, are more precious because I might not catch it because I'm in the moment with her 
But of course, when the camera's on, she equally just goes into her element and she's able to express herself, which I'm so, so, so thankful about because let's face it, like raising black girls, it's it's um, a challenge and black boys in itself. And I feel like there's a degree of us having to be intentional with how much we expose them to things and varied sort of skills we allow them to build at such a young age. Being a young black girl from like an African background, I mean, um, I was born in Nigeria, mum was born here and she moved back to Nigeria and I was raised in Nigeria until the mm. uh, age of six. And um, when I look at Maya, Maya is me at five, but then somewhere along the line, you get told that you're speaking too much. Yeah. Speak when you're spoken to, or in Yoruba, like you're too much, like that kind of thing. Like, and I think we then lose that confidence along the way. And now that we've been like so, so blessed to have a young girl and black boys, I'm really, really um, looking forward to allowing them to have this voice that will propel them into industries that isn't necessarily one that is academically um, accepted or um, and getting their create because creativity allows you to be quite um, versatile in whatever area that you go into relationship building and being able to hold a conversation and express your emotions clearly allow you to build long lasting relationships that will lead to opportunities. So those sort of things, when you allow children to have a black children to have a voice means that they'll also be able to, when there is injustice, when there is racism and they encounter these things, there will be ways that they can lead with education but still be justified in their responses and not thinking that they have to make white people feel comfortable because of their colour of their skin. Like, it's like, no, I need to be comfortable in this space too. Like, I, I need, I deserve to be here. And it's that feeling of, like, knowing that you are meant to be somewhere and that belonging, sense of belonging. They love, like, they love Pounder Jam, they love Akaran Oggy, from food to music to the language and that inquisitiveness, not shutting them down because you think that that is where I feel like we're going to really start to see young black children excel as yes. themselves and naturally then take it into schools and challenge teachers in a way that you'll be able to walk behind them in school and say, yes, she's right. Yeah. I remember being young and if you challenge your teacher, you know your mum and dad are probably coming to a school and be like, why are you talking back to the teacher? Yeah. and this is where I feel like there is that switch there's a shift in that paradigm at the moment that we need to be quite excited to see and to be alongside our children not feel like they're beneath us because we learn so much from them so much Maya inspires me every day and I think that I re-found that little girl in me who had that voice seeing her become her own person mm. and in a way that's how motherhood and black motherhood has transformed me to kind of speak up because if they can have a voice at five then why am I at 32 like shying away from certain topics because it might make other people feel uncomfortable you lead with honesty you lead with kindness but equally you have to always remember that like you belong wherever you've been placed and there is a purpose for why you are there mm. um, yeah so yeah but you said so many nuggets I was literally like writing down things because I want to come back to a few things that you mentioned um especially when it comes to the Nigerianness of like especially girls being too much and speaking mm. too much but in terms of like obviously like you mentioned your mum and you having um slightly different cultural experiences in terms of you and like your experience like what how were you feeling like when you first found out you were pregnant or even actually before 
let's let's even say like when you were single and maybe like dating Darcy, how did you feel about motherhood and how? Because I know you've spoken as well about um, you know the passing of your mum and and the slight inadequacy that you can feel not having that position in your life like how how did you feel about motherhood before you were even married do you know what I feel like I had no set expectations and I felt like my child would obviously determine how I would be as a mother so I knew I wanted to be a mum but I never ever put myself in a I know I'm gonna and I think I want to be this kind of mum and I think that's so important because similarly to like when you do a birth plan and when you have a baby, I mean, our last one we had at home, on the, like in our bedroom, the middle one was a water birth, the first one was in the hospital. I think we've never, ever put a plan in place and not understood that sometimes plans change and it determines on the situations that then bring out different qualities in you. So I knew I wanted to be a mum but I never ever had any set expectations on how I wanted to parent because I knew that that would equally be determined by how my, the roles and how me and my husband would kind of mother um, parent together. Um, the type of demands that my child had, like if you had, because the way I speak with Maya now is different to if you had a child that maybe needed you to support her a little bit more because she needed to find her voice with Maya it's more about being her guide and shaping it because she's found this voice that I don't even know where it came from. So I think, yeah, the answer to that short answer is like, I I knew I wanted to be a mother, but I never had any set expectations Mm. leading to that. I got pregnant before we were due to get married. And then we had to bring the wedding forward. And again, going back to a Nigerian household, it was like, Oh my gosh, the shame that everyone (laughs) had to change my wedding dress and everything. And my mum, Oh, the amount of time she moved, before the camera person took a picture to make sure my flowers was covering my bump. And I was like five months pregnant. I was like, mum, listen, like by the time July comes, people will do the, but I think parents still wanted to be afforded that sort of like respect of the fact that people didn't know at the time. And I've always been quite, I think you're quite similar in your approach as well. Quite um, outspoken and quite unashamed to be the person you want to be. I made decisions. I mean, things like tattoos I have a full sleeve of tattoos yeah my mum wasn't a fan of that but she'd be the first to defend it in a public situation and learning something like that from her is like she'll be like is it on your child okay do you think she doesn't live with us do you think we haven't seen it are you telling me something new but inside the house she didn't like it Mm. and that sort of like support outwardly always helps because like um, would I change it? Would I not have got time? No, because for me, that was my way of self-expression and it's still there. And if Maya turned around, maybe if she was like younger, I'd be like, wait, but has <laughs> it stopped me achieving what I wanted to achieve? Now, no, I like African um, aunties would be like, you'll never get a job. No one will want to employ you. You'll never do this. You never, how do they know where you're going to go that that would like, it doesn't, and I think that's something that I've learned as well, that like we can't allow our experiences to put the fear into children through the stories we keep telling them or the things, because we are putting affirmations. You'll never get a job we're looking like that. You can't walk in the street dressed like that or da 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 Like there is parenting to a degree, but then mm. there is stifling a voice and that person that wants to come out. Um, and yeah, so I definitely think, yeah, that's it. I feel like we've covered no, it. No, no, no. That was that was so so great, and I love I love the story about um the wedding and the fact that you're like, yeah, people are gonna know. Yeah, 
It yeah. reminds me of that real of how would they know? They're gonna know. I need to save that one actually. <laughs> it was so, and then you said, "How did I feel?" And then after, obviously, when I had Maya, oh my gosh, it was the best time ever. I mean, oh. she. We used to lay in bed together all day whilst my, um, Darcy was at work and stuff. And we would just, I would speak to her like an adult. I would have real conversations and she's probably thinking, and it's probably still. Maybe that's what her, why she's so like outspoken in a good way. I would hold fashion shows for her and she was <laughs> three or four months. I'd be like, Maya, what do you think about And I would fully, and she'd be just sat there taking off my top. I'm like, what about this green one, Maya? And then we're going to go here. Da, 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 da. And I think as a mother as well, it kind of kept me sane because there wasn't like you're at home with your child, but still your child. And little did I know back then, like you're pointing out now, it must have been going into the way where like she's seeing me, we were interacting and that relationship started from young. I wasn't goo goo gaga at her because their minds are so, so intelligent at that stage and things like language and picking up funny things and the foods you were offering her and and how you react to people whilst you're around her. She's a people person. And probably when she saw me on a lot of the lunch dates with the buggy, stopping, talking to people, bus stops, everything, she must be like, whoa, like, <laughs> she must have been like, this mum can talk. <laughs> and now she's like times five of me, like, and kind of being kind of a, someone who makes other people, like if she went into a playground and there were five people, she would make sure that those five people spoke to each other in a way that brought them together and like watching that as well I do feel like she did watch me be quite a, a chatter as a person as a mum yeah when she was younger that's so so funny and I mean I've heard um parents speak about the fact that like the way you speak to your child in those early stages affects their communication so it's definitely um one of the reasons why like she her communication is so advanced like it's it's amazing to see in terms of like um child like having children um how did you like how did you feel when you did find out that you were pregnant like each each time if you can uh first one with Maya I was really excited I was super excited because um I think um, we lived in a flat in Lewisham at the time and um, I was just really excited irrespective of the fact that I was like, I think later on then I was like, oh my gosh, like we're supposed to be getting married and have we done things the right way? And I think that excitement was shared with Darcy as well. And and then we didn't feel no kind of way whether it was a boy or girl and then we found out it was Maya. I was just, I just enjoyed the pregnancy and just enjoyed the whole process and ate as much as, that was the biggest I've ever been. I think I was like size 16, 14, 16, like, but I loved it. I loved it. Like, I just enjoyed it. With Micah Remy, um, Micah Remy, I'm trying to remember because when there's three, you start forgetting who. Yeah, are. no, there's three. There's three in my family as well. And my brother's the middle child, and he was like, he's like, people always forget me. Like, <laughs> with Michael Remy, we were super excited as well, and um, especially when we found out he was a boy, because all my cousins and everyone, we were a girl family, and it didn't matter equally because I was already prepared for two sisters that you could dress similarly and all that stuff. <laughs> I think, again, I've never gone into anything like, I need to have a boy or I need mm. to have a girl. Or I, I think when we drill down too much into what we're expecting life to give us, leaves so much areas for us to be disappointed, whereas we shouldn't actually be disappointed because everything is a blessing in itself. Mm. So I remember super excited. I told my mum, like, really quickly, and she was so, so happy. Um, you see, there was, like, two years between them, but... 
of course, mum passed away before I gave birth to Micah Remy a couple of months before, but um, mm. which was hard, which mm. was like really hard, like the birth, but he was all, almost the easiest birth that I've ever had. Like he, it was a water birth. Maya was a hard birth. I tore, she was a 10 pounder mm. and I had her naturally. Micah Remy was seven pounds too. And I had him in the water birth in the birth center. And Dream, he was a surprise. Like, we really wasn't... But then I say surprise. Like, if your husband and wife, and, uh, like, I don't know, I'm guessing, I'm hoping your your um, audience are quite ho- older. Like, the pull-out method is not always... A method. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> for us for years, but it was only... I mean, you guys did say you wanted a lot of kids, so, I mean, it's kind of like, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, so Dream was a bit of a surprise, but... Um, yeah, we didn't have a name for him. Again, we allowed ourselves into that. We didn't have this, like, um, we had a few names. I think it was, like, Hezekiah and something else, but nothing. Ooh, strong, strong Bible names. <laughs> <laughs> nothing like we've named him. And I remember the evening that we had him, because we had him at home in the morning, and within two or three hours, the midwives are gone. You're in your house. We've had him at home. And we were sat there watching TV, and we were like, this is weird. It feels like a dream. And me and Darcy looked at each other, and we were like, dream, dream. <laughs> let's call him dream and that was how his name came about kind of thing I think we need to allow life to shape us sometimes and just live in the moment mm. when you lead with too many like I'm gonna call him this and he's gonna wear this he's gonna look like this he's gonna go to this school you know people be planning what schools and who yeah. their kids marry even before like the kids are turned five and stuff don't do it the disappointment you allowing yourself to feel because like life throws different angles at you and sometimes you might be in a situation where you want to have a little bit more like a a spontane spontaneity yeah where you just want to be a bit more spontaneous with your choices Mm. um yeah there is things where you can be planned and being too planned as well is obviously the other side of it as well but each time we were happy and I guess the question, and I'm not, not sure if you're going to ask it, people are like, are you guys done? Well, is that gonna be- yeah, I mean, I was going to ask, but then y- you were like, well, we said six, and each time we have one, it goes down by one, and now you've got three. <laughs> you know what? As they grow up and they miss, they move from that baby stage, you're like, mm. oh, I missing this a baby. <laughs> they start sleeping through the night, and you forget how you went through the worst, like, sleep-deprived and everything, and you're like, this is amazing. Look at them. And they all walk in and say good morning to you at the same time. You're like, oh, babe, look. And me and Darcy are like, okay, no, 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 no. Let's just remember how we both nearly passed out from lack of sleep with my <laughs> and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think we are open to whatever. Again, our approach to everything. Darcy, I remember when we started dating, he was like, I was like, so what is this? And he was like, let's go with the flow. No girl wants to hear, let's go. That with the- actually, yeah, that is actually one of the red flags. You know, I was actually going to ask about Darcy Darcy was one of my next questions like in terms of like when you guys started dating like when did you like what what was the story like how did you meet and then when did you realize like okay no this this is gonna be my baby's daddy yeah well do you know what like I've spoken about this before I was engaged before so I was oh I didn't know this yeah, so I was engaged before. Wedding was supposed to be um, in the September, I believe. And come July, I sat my mum and dad down in their office. And I was like, I'm not doing it. I can't do it. So I don't love him. I don't, like, there were things, major red flags. From, mm. Major red flags. And I have to be careful um, because, obviously, um, social media is such a small world. And, like, his sisters might be listening to this. The be- lovely family and stuff. But... Just, I just think from like a long-term thing, I didn't think we were compatible um, and stuff. So 
Darcy, like, he was one of these respectful people who wasn't trying to come onto the scene when he knew I was dealing with that and stuff. We worked together at Nike. I managed the women's floor in Nike Town, London, and he worked on the second floor in basketball. And I remember, like, when everything was kind of, like, ending and stuff, we were just friends. I would speak to him, and he would never probe me. Do you know some guys, when they know you're coming out of a relationship, to be like oh so do you feel like you're ready to move on whatever he just kind of like listened and he wasn't in my face trying to get in a I always found him attractive like in terms of like physically but we my mind never ever went there that it could become like a relationship down the line he actually came with me oh my gosh I'm spilling all the tea um to give back the engagement ring (gasps) and he stood just because I needed that support he was like further back and I gave it back and stuff and all that so he'd been through that whole process with me he's always been like a massive massive even till today I'm not sure if you saw something I posted in stories a lot of people behind the stage like backstage he is such a support like he is literally like the backbone and stuff and and um yeah I remember like him telling me that he writes and I was attracted to his mind as well like he challenged things he loved to play devil's advocate like if I told him something was going to be like this he'd be like but what if it doesn't happen that way but it wasn't pessimistic he was like you have to look at the facts you have to look at how that could play out and that there are different routes this could take and stuff and I liked that because you don't always want someone who's going to be like yes to you all yeah. the time I didn't want that at all um so I read one of the books that he'd written, um, Magician's Trick, and it was set in the Cotswolds, and it was like a, about a, a mental um, psycho, like it was a psychos, is that a genre? Psychological like, thriller. Psycho, yeah, that's exactly what it was. And it was about a mental disorder called prosopragnesia, which is facial blindness. And there was a guy called Callum, it was set in, Co- it was just a beautiful book. And I remember reading it the night before underneath my bed, like on um, online, and thinking, this guy's so intelligent, he wrote a whole book. Like, that impressed me. Like, that impressed me. Even if I was the only one who was going to read it, the story was, like, fantastic. And then we would go to, like, Costa Coffee after work together, and we would just, like, talk about just general stuff. Nothing. There was no locking of eyes or nothing or this, this, this. It was just, like, a really good friend that I really appreciated the fact that he listened and he challenged me. Like, he really, really challenged me and stuff like that. And, um... I think it was around Christmas one time. This was a while after the engagement had finished. Like, I asked him to come with me to Hamley's to choose like gifts um, for my nieces and stuff. And it was, it was weird. It was just like a moment. Like, it was like we were shopping for our child or something. Like, we were like looking at toys and stuff. And there was this spark. And people talk about the spark always have to be. I don't know whether it was spark for a relationship at first I think that spark came from seeing all the elements of him as a person Mm. and gradually built up that spark to the point where you're like okay this person's actually quite a decent person that could be like a boyfriend kind of thing Mm. and yeah I feel like that trip was when we kind of thought okay and then we never ever called it anything and I would like bunk or who I say I would like call in sick at work to go to his house and we would just watch Game of Thrones we would just watch Game of Thrones from beginning to end like and he would like and it was so nice there was no like sex or anything and we would just chill and I'd be like babe I was like what is this and he was like let's just go with the flow and I was like what like I don't get it we went through that's usually like a massive red flag usually 
Yeah, and I was like, I don't get it. Like, what do you mean go with the flow? He was just like, I just like the way things are. Like, we're chilling. Like, we have fun. We like like hanging with each other. Uh, and then he was like, I'm not going to call it something because that might put too much pressure on us. And again, now saying it back after all we've spoken about, that is how we live our life as a couple and as a mm. family. We don't put too many things or names on stuff to leave ourselves, like, to be disappointed. And... Yeah, gradually we started, like, we would go to the park and race each other. I just loved a competition. We would try and outdo each other on everything, on, like, shows, or, no, like, the show I recommended was better than yours and stuff. And start, like, getting to that, you're like, okay, this is nice, this is my friend. And then one day, I think we must have kissed at a train station at Winchmore Hill, and I was like, okay, maybe this is a thing, like, kind of thing. And we didn't speak together for a little while. And then I did everything. I was, like, trying to seduce him. I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, why doesn't he want to sleep with me? Like, this is weird. And I, he told me later on, he was like, well, other, other, his other friends at work have been saying, oh, we're going to try and move to it and all that stuff. And da, da, da. he was like, I didn't want to be in the queue. I didn't want to, like, and they didn't know. We didn't really. And he was like, I wasn't trying to uh, sleep with you. And then it was just been like, I did it first kind of thing. He mm. really let's just like this is someone I respect and yeah yeah okay throw the respect out the window <laughs> yes kind of thing you know, you know what's really interesting though I'd really love to know like what were the things that like said boyfriend material because I think especially like for, for women who are dating a lot of the time when we do hear a guy say um I mean, for me, I've had a guy say, let's go to the floor. As you can see, child, I'm not married. One of us on this call is married and it's not me. So I'm really, so I'm really interested in like, what were the, what were the uh, green flags that were like, okay, no, this is like boyfriend slash husband, husband material, despite the fact that, you know, there wasn't a name on what you guys were calling it. I think it was mainly also his love for his family. Mm. Um, speak a lot about his um brother's um skin condition and that was what actually got us speaking speaking within work and mm. I was like how's it today kind of thing he genuinely cared for his family he carried like how they were feeling with him mm. and I think someone who can feel other people's pain and stuff like that for me was a major green flag because like he wasn't he wasn't numb to like emotions and stuff and he wasn't afraid to speak about it but as a lot of men, I needed to be the person to kind of pull it out of him for him to speak about it. And the fact that he opened up to me in like an unfiltered way, that was a major green flag. Like, I think, yeah, so many guys are guarded as are girls. And yeah, so love for your family is so important. And just kind of being like, right, I'm going to help him. There's a, um, a doctor in France I've looked at that specializes in this sort of stuff, mm. like, go to France and do this he can get this specific thing on Google on his lunchtime looking for different medication that could help his brother for me that's like that's major green flags and I think the green flags don't always have to be how they react to you or how they behave to you I think it's about like really removing that sort of like sometimes we want the attention but like observing them and how they re relate to other things and other people as yeah. well will allow you to form an opinion on like, if you were in that position, how would he kind of relate to me when, if I was going through something that was hurting me and stuff, like you can see how emotionally intelligent somebody is by how they relate to stuff like that. So that was a major green flag. Mm -hmm. Was there any red flags? Uh, 
gosh, I'm trying to think, like, if there were any red flags, maybe... I mean, I feel like you'd, you'd know them by now, and I, I don't think, I, I don't think there really are, um, I was, I was just so fascinated by the fact that he said, um, let's go with the, because I don't know if you know, on, like, black Twitter, that's, like, a thing, I don't know, it's a thing, yeah, so, like, someone will be, like, oh, a guy said, let's go with the flow, and you'll just get hundreds of comments by other girls being, like, sis, don't do it, girl, don't do it. So it's really, that's why it's really interesting to hear. But like, obviously, it's not just what the person says, it's what they do. Mm. And like, I always feel like, you know, it's actions, but it's it's words, but it's also actions as well. Mm. And how they treat other people around you. I did want to like ask, especially the fact that obviously you've got two boys. Um, and I don't even know if this is a situation for you guys yet, but in terms of like brands, like, and, and, and racism and it, coming off of everything that happened in June and the kind of visibility of, of racism only just uh, for, for a lot of white people. How do brands like approach you guys as like a black family? Mm. No, that's a really good question because initially we dealt and managed ourselves. I mean, now we're thankful we um, are managed by um, Mockingbird. Um, and again, and I'll go back to that point. Um, and it's something that I don't know. No, I feel like I'm well within my right to say, like, um, their roster has, like, has OV, has, like, different people who they, like, look after, and one of the managing directors is a black woman as well, and, like, I think when brands approach you, um, that knowledge of self and knowing your worth is so important, and I do feel like I'd had a bit of an inside understanding with how much budget these brands were playing with like in terms of like working in radio when we worked with Glean Futures and like their talent working um at TikTok and paying TikTok talent and stuff like that so I was armed with that knowledge and it's the knowledge that if anybody ever DM'd me like I've always been happy to share and stuff but I feel like within the black community we don't share within ourselves enough um, to be able to enable other people. We kind of talk about our issues and stuff, but no one really talks money, like, and just talk, I think it's either that fear of scarcity, like there isn't enough to go around, that if I introduce this family, I mean, there was a recent campaign over Christmas and they were like, okay, we've got a budget for you. Um, and it was a brand that we've built a relationship with before. Um, it can either be you and Darcy, this is the total budget, or if you've come up with another idea, or you can work with another family on it. Of course, like, I'm tag-teaming with another black family, mm. right? because then you can bring them into, like, the whole mix and stuff as well. And you don't always have to be recognised in it. That, that, that person doesn't have to thank you on social media and tag you. Do it because you want to do it. And going back to your question about, like, building, how do brands approach us? There are so many brands that we turn down, like, campaigns, because I'm like, Unfortunately, I've looked at your feed and we don't want to be the one back family that allows you to That's say, realistic. yes, that are, that you are dealing with the whole, um, it's more, it does feel to me, I've been quite very, very outspoken. Um, Darcy's always like, oh, did you send it? <laughs> yes, I sent it. Um, it does feel very um, like a knee-jerk reaction. For me, I'd want to see consistency through your comms, through the teams, before I jump in and get involved and give you the credibility that I'm not even sure you deserve yet. And that's where we kind of, I feel like, brands then went away and the same brands came back. Wow. So if, if it's like, 
don't feel like you turning something down means that you'll never ever if you're creating content that people are sharing you will always be in the forefront and people will always be sharing you and they'll come back correct they'll come back correct and um so i feel like brands a lot of them if they met me on a really really bad day would have got my definitely diplomatic email telling them that we we don't think you're at the position yet to work for us whether you've worked with us whether you've got 5k know that they want you whether you've got 5k got 50k be able to like you have to be willing to lose something yeah for people to go away and do the behind the scenes work and then come back and say it's almost like they want you to come back and say we took what you said on board da 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 and then the consistency, you don't want these brands to be like, let's work with you on a one-off. Where I feel like we've been able to make this a full-time is because we have long-term contracts, 12-month contracts that buy us out, that are exclusivity contracts that mean that they have to then pay you on top of the contract yeah. they're paying you not to work with their competitors. And then usage contracts and buyout contracts from the same client, but without you knowing all those different layers, Brands will rely on you not knowing yep. to work with you. So, and that's where I'm like, um, I think brands respected that. And when we came back with fees and then they turn around and say, even someone with 100K isn't charging this. I'm like, well, you're getting all five of us. You have to be able to put on that you're getting all five of us, the level of content we're going to create for you, the planning time, the concept. And then you want to then use it on your email marketing and this. You are getting continuous sales. If anything, that this is what it should look like but I'm willing for us to work with you initially on like a two to three month basis. And then we look at making this a long-term because it's in your interest for you to be consistently seen as working with us because we are then part of your fabric and then we're woven into your DNA and then you become part of our family and people don't see it as a one-off. Mm. You have to be able to put a case across as to why they should work with you. And in doing so equally allow them to embed something in their culture that paves and creates other, um, because then you have black people that you follow when you share them and stuff, they'll often go through that and then they'll see another, they'll discover another black family through you and stuff. And this is what I love and staying really strong in your worth and knowing that you are not a trend. Black people, we're not a trend. Yeah. Like, I've been around since the black way and it's like, just because you've just found me now doesn't mean I haven't been putting in the work before. Yeah. I've spent time building this platform. So for you to come along and feel like you can pay me £300 for this and this and this and this, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'll pay you £300. Not to, you know those ones there like where you just have to be like, I know what I'm worth and I'm not going to accept anything less, even if it means that I lose it for now. And the brands that sometimes then walked away and then their competitors come correct, then it becomes a tug of war. And then there are different contracts on the table and our agents get excited. They're like, they've come back and they've said they don't, they don't want, no, 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 they really want you and this and this. And that's, that's the best case scenario where you've been able to like communicate your worth and show up with your organic content. And this is where you said like, um, with like, we weren't afraid to speak about these deeper issues and then throw up a TikTok afterwards that's like, because that's how life is. One minute you can laugh, one minute you can cry. Why do we feel like we have to only talk about race, 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 or we have to just do TikToks, TikToks, or we only have to cook? Yeah. You have to have, your your platform has to have depth and it has to have dimensions. And this could be in the formats that you're creating. This can be in like the conversations that you're having. 
but thinking that you can create the same content and then the same brands like that's where you get really like why aren't these brands because the brands don't see your versatility yeah you're pigeonholing yourself yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but um i feel like we covered a lot there yeah, it's incredible like you've dropped influencer tips you've dropped you've dropped contract tips like honestly the the brand situation especially since june has been I think both good and bad, like I got hit up by a, a huge women's uh, brand and <laughs> they wanted to pay me peanuts for a campaign and they wanted to pay me nothing for six months exclusivity, like nothing. And this is a, a huge women's brand. Like if you ask anyone this brand, they know who it is. And it's like, okay, you're so, you're so well known, you're making so much money and this is what you have to offer me. I said I said no I declined the campaign I think three weeks later I went and checked on the hashtag and there were no black women on that campaign like not one yeah and it's just sometimes it's just so infuriating the way the performative which is exactly what you're talking about is the performative nature of oh let's just stick this one black person here and like if they're not having it then fine we'll just go with all the white people it just it makes the industry um it makes me wonder how far we have come. I know that, like, there have been changes since June, but, like, the performative nature that brands are operating with just make me really, really annoyed. In terms of, like, your kids and, like, racism, like, I know that you guys had a really annoying um, experience in a supermarket, I think, was it a month ago or two months ago? How do you guys have you talked about how you're going to speak to your children about racism or have you already started doing that? I know they're really, really young. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's your like game plan? Yeah, we've definitely had the conversations and it was so interesting because I think this point's very important to raise that we were thrown into having that conversation based on the school's attempt to knee jerk again, re reaction to black history month. And my daughter coming home and said, Oh, we learned about Ruby bridges today. And a little black girl who wasn't allowed to do and reeled it off. And I was like, how dare they take away our, our opportunity to have had the talk with our children. Also she's American. Yeah. Like yeah. we live in England. Can we talk about black British history? Exactly. So like for me, it's like, the schools are trying to do the right thing, but they're not doing it with the help of the parents that yeah. have conversations every day and have lived the experiences. That's where there was a missing link in the whole, like their attempt to kind of be like, right, let's cram everything. Oh, Black History Month, October, let's do everything. Let's talk about this, let's do this. And they're so proud to put it in their newsletters. And I'm like, but how is it being delivered? Who is delivering it? What's the method? I remember being in school and imagine this, being watch, watching Roots in school as like a black child in a class full of my white peers and stuff, where a lot of the history has still been based on still embedding that, that sort of history of slavery. It's so traumatic. It's so traumatic to have to be thrown into a situation where you're watching that alongside it and knowing that wow, like, this is a lot. Like, this is stuff that I should be allowed either my parents to take me through or to be able to do so in a safe space where, you know, that's the thing. And we've had that talk. And I think 
we've underpinned it with that knowledge of self and the self-love that comes from being able to be proud of who you are and where you come from yeah not ever being afraid to express yourself and you know the whole angry black woman when you're passionate about something you express yourself in a way that you should never ever make yourself little just to make other people feel comfortable like you are a black girl never forget that never try and fit in never try and and Maya forever will be like, and she, like, you might have seen yesterday, she does affirm, and I don't share everything we do with her, but when we do, I know that it will have an impact on other people, like, with why she is the way she is. Like, I think people at the moment, like, oh my gosh, like, why is she, like, she does affirmations, she reminds Alexa, and the Alexa goes off, and it's like, duh, 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 and she's like, it's time to do my affirmations and stuff. It's helped her with writing, I am beautiful, I am powerful, I'm stunning. She changes yeah describing words every single time she does it so having that conversation around racism has allowed us to also put actionable things in place that allows her to be a confident young black girl but when we had that experience you referenced in a supermarket I asked Darcy to take them aside so I could have a conversation with the woman and said you know what I've just paid for your shopping and you've just responded to me that you look like someone who worked here. How can you afford 102 pounds and stuff? But the fact that you think that I look, I don't look like someone who should or would, like you're in a, like in this moment, whilst the baby is screaming and everything, what you were thinking inside came out and it was meant to come out. Like it's not my problem, that's your problem. And we were talking about it in the car, but in a way like, and black parents are faced with, having to turn over the radio or change the news or doing certain things because you want to do it on your terms as well because the way the media can sometimes shape conversations around racism isn't how it should be delivered to our children which is why this conversation is we shouldn't be afraid to have it at such a young age because at least you're giving yourself the opportunity to to guide those thoughts because if you don't do it they'll hear it through another avenue in a way that you might not be able to reverse how that's been imprinted into their mind. Hence why it's so important to have it at such a young age. And racism, and she asked, what is racism? And we we explained to her that because of your colour, the colour, and she then said, what, like Ruby Bridges? And this is why it's so important. This is what I'm saying. Like, it's so damaging to yeah. be telling a young black girl in school that at one point a girl who looked like her wasn't welcome in her school and was taunted by adults as well it's incredibly exactly so so and then this is where so when i say because of the color of your skin some people feel like you don't belong somewhere and their attitudes towards you can mean that even though you are amazing they'll want you to feel like you're not amazing because it makes them feel better about themselves and like I was like, history is things that's happened in the past, but we can't say, don't let people tell you it was history because mummy went through it. You'll probably go through it, but mummy went through it less than my mum went through it, less than nanny went through it. You'll go through it less than mummy went through it. And it's because you have to always speak up. And that's how we explained it to her. That Because I think we can't fool our children into thinking racism was a thing of the past. That's another mistake yeah. that made i had to let her know that it no no it still exists don't get it twisted in the olden days as kids like to say it wasn't in the olden days it's happening now maya and and i was like sometimes you might not see it sometimes it might not be just someone talking about oh look at your black skin or whatever sometimes it might be you putting your hand up 
or you putting yourself forward for something but because of the color of your skin you don't know that you've not been chosen for certain things yeah. but you can't give up you have to keep it and I said to her there's one line I always like to give her a line and this is the lines that she'll repeat to people I was like be so good that they can't ignore you. I was told that by my granddad, who was a lecturer in Oxford um, Uni and in English Lit. Be so good that they can't ignore you. Mm-hmm. Don't ever let that stop you from being that confident young black girl. Like, and she was like, no, I won't, I won't. Like, in seeing her, like, she's very like, no, I won't. <laughs> like, we need to bring that fire out in our children. And that's where those conversations are so important. It's so, so important. But yeah, I think that's answered it. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I think like I was even speaking to someone for a, another podcast episode and we we're just talking about the self, self-hatred and the self-doubt and the lack of self-esteem that happens, especially as, as darker skinned black women that, that don't even um, come to the fore until later on, until like you're, you're 19, you're 20, you're 21. And you're realising that the reason that you're getting triggered because a black a, a guy doesn't like you or a black guy doesn't like you is because of these internalized ideas. And I think to myself, how interesting it's going to be for the next generation to have that self-love and that confidence instilled from them from such an early age. Because I think in some of, in some cases, our parents wanted to protect us and sometimes they didn't mention these things or they didn't really have a deep talk with us when we were younger because they wanted to protect us. But in doing that, they actually found out the hard way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and I'll tell you a funny story, actually, because I'm sure a lot of your audiences are relate. It's funny and it's painful. Mm-hmm. I remember in school and there wasn't a lot of them. Um, I think I was like one of three or four black people initially in my school when I started in year seven. And in year nine, a boy came in, a black boy, and I was just like, oh my gosh, like, I, I fancy him. You know, year nine, they're like, oh God, I fancy him so much. And my white friends went to tell him, um, and of course, they probably got like got off on the what happened next. Oh, our friend Ola um, loves you. Da, 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 da. She wants to like um, date you and all this stuff. And I don't know how it was put across to her. And back then, I wasn't down with the lingo or the terms or whatever. And he was like, go back and tell her she's butters. So, and the girls were like, well, what does that mean? Kind of thing. And I was like, he told them what it meant. And then they had to come back and tell me that it meant that I was nice. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, 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 wait. I need to tell this story. This is me walking into science, Mr. Wayne's class, yeah. I'm walking in like, oh my gosh, guys, I'm butters. Oh gosh. I was like, he said I'm butters. Oh my gosh, I'm butters. Yes, guys, I am butters. And I- Laughing through the pain, laughing through the pain. Like, oh my god, what's your break? Like, guys, like it's funny because, and it's also not funny because so he, um, yeah, he really made me feel something, and it's an experience I'll never ever forget. I'll never ever forget that experience. But my white friends, equally, like if you were to think about it now, they knew what they were doing, and again, they continue, they helped him with that whole. That was, that was. Yeah, it was savage. It was horrible. And then going back and then finding out what it meant. And I remember this other black girl was like, no, no, Ola, it doesn't mean nice. It actually doesn't mean nice. Like, it means that you're ugly. Like, and then he t- it was like, it's like she, she's she's blick and she's butters. Oh, self-hates. It's jumping out of him. 
it was it was hardcore and I was like wow what have I done to 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 you for you to kind of do that kind of thing and there is that role as well of like black men and black boys and how they 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 even add more fire to the whole like racism issue at schools. The first time that Maya had her hair out and she had it in Bantu knots. Oh my gosh, she's obsessed with Bantu knots. The boy that told her it didn't look nice at the age of five was a black boy whose mum probably has hair out and wears wigs and stuff like that. But why is that happening? And she was, I was like, who said it? And she was like, yeah, he told me that I look really funny and that I look like Shrek and all this stuff. Da, 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 da. And I was like, wow. Like, so as much as we try and talk about black history, that black history still plays out in a way. And we have a responsibility as mothers to ask questions, to not just be like, oh, yeah, just ignore him. Those just ignore him. They still sit in her mind. She's not just going to forget it. And we need to open up and have these conversations willingly and be like, look, next time that happens, or da, 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 that role play and allowing them to mentally put themselves in a position where they can feel confident yeah, and powerful in that situation. Yeah, but um, I thought I'd share that story. That, that story was um, both hilarious and deeply traumatic. Um, I, feel yeah. like, I feel like so many, and this is the sad thing, I feel like so many dark-skinned black women have stories like this. Like, I have a story, like, I was in primary school and I really fancied this guy called Michael. Hey, Michael, if you're listening. And um, he was... He was <laughs> He was, um, pardon me, he was mixed race and um, I really fancied him. Oh my gosh, I thought Michael was the bee's knees child. And um, he ended up liking my friend called Melissa. Hey, Melissa, girl, if you're watching, uh, if you're listening. And um, she was light-skinned. And I remember having a huge, like, I don't think I got over that until I was about like 18. Because I, cause that taught me, oh, okay, if there's a black guy or a mixed race guy, he's always going to go for a light-skinned girl who's got straight hair that's what that's what's gonna happen and she had like this relaxed hair I, I was actually never allowed to relax my hair until like I got into college but um, yeah yeah so yeah. that really that really solidified in my head like oh okay light skinned women are, are they're the they're the ideal they're the goal um and do you know what's mad like even as you're talking about the guy who uh, sorry the boy who said this to Maya you're right like he definitely has a black mom and it's like I think black moms need to take more responsibility over speaking to their, not you, you're excluded, um, need to take responsibility over speaking to their sons and how their sons treat black women, because this is, this is what's causing the trauma. So, so true. And one thing that Micah Remy, my son, when Maya gets her hair done and she's seen us sat down and stuff, Micah Remy will be the first one. I like your hair, Maya. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Micah. Like, if I just come out with my wig and stuff and like, um, like he'll, he'll poke his head at the bathroom door and he's on the stairs and he's like, mummy, I like your hair. Like, and I'm like, thanks, Micah. Like those things, teaching them to appreciate black women yeah. from home kind of thing. Yeah. And it's so, so important because Maya's always like, oh, thank you, Micah, like kind of thing. And listening to them together, I have to catch it one day. Like I said, the most precious moments. People think we share the family, but we, there is so much that happens at home that is just, that just makes me proud to be a black mum now and know that I can't relax. You can't ever relax. You can't ever think like, I'm going to go into cruise control now because the world's going in a way that should be okay. Now we still need to be putting in the work and with our own children as well, because I think there is that common misconception. And I read it online. It's like, oh no, the work's not to do with us. 
No, there's still work to do within our own homes. Like you need, to, we need to get our homes in order for us to be able to unite it, be united when we have these racism chats and stuff. Yeah. So let's not. Of course, because because a lot of the time it's black women at the front forefront of all of these movements, and some black men will be at the back being like, "Oh, why are we doing this?" Oh, and so it's it's the un, the uniting, as you said, we need to get yeah. in order because it's yeah, right now it's a bit it's a bit mad. Yeah, people tearing each other down. So when people be like, oh, yeah, um, it's the white mums that need to educate their kids. We, we're not saying we need to go out and educate white children. Mm. We need to teach our own children self-love, self, like that knowledge of self in a way. Like, so the work is, is still with us. Like, we can't let stop working. Um, and that's one thing that, like, I mean, I rarely kind of talk about things that I don't like when I see that on social media. Like, oh, I hate when people say we need. Well, no, the work's not with us. It is still with us. Don't, don't, don't take it. Like, we still have work to do. Mm. When I say we have work to do. Like, the type of work we all have to do is different, but we still have work to do. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. No, I totally agree. This has been amazing. There, there are some few other things that I want to get into, but to be honest, I feel, feel like what we've covered has been so incredible, especially your perspective on like Micah and how he's learning to appreciate um, mm. black women, especially darker skin, uh, skinned black women. I, I love that. And I think that's going to be really instrumental for the next generation of mums because I think that can help to break this cycle of mm. misogynoir and, and, colorism that is so prevalent in um, black men in our community but this has been amazing can you let people know where they can find you and yeah you can find me on olapello um and then tiktoks we're trying to get back on now the sun's out in the garden because we just love doing tiktoks outside um we were not as um, active on tiktok but we are the pello fam on tiktok um, but Olapello is usually, you probably see the family most of the week, but it's, um, I talk, I thought so often to change it to the Pello fam, but like Darcy was like, no, you kind of like, you can, like you're, you're curating our experience. So Olap- that's why it is still Olapello because it's a question we get asked a lot that why is it not the Pello fam on Instagram? Obviously it was my page. And again, if there's one thing I want to finish off on is for future mothers, mothers now, you may get to the situations, don't ever lose your individuality as a mother, even though you become part of a family unit, you can still have your own voice. And I think that platform allows me to still speak as myself and equally share my family as well. Um, And that's one piece of advice I would give, like don't ever forget the things that you love doing and things you're passionate about and just fall into, right, I'm a mummy blogger now, or I'm a mummy influencer, I'm a this or this, this, this. You don't always have to do that. Still share what makes you happy because, like, this where we only get one chance at this. Mm. And if you feel like you having to like um, ignore certain things or put things on the back burner, you'll start growing a resentment for the fact that you've lost a part of who you are. Yeah. But I just want to thank everyone. I hope that people have enjoyed this. I want to thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to see you continue to furnish your beautiful apartment and take those pictures on the balcony. Listen, summer's going to be lit. You're going to be in your garden. I'm going to be in my balcony. It's going to be it's gonna yeah, great. Yeah, I can't great. wait. I'm excited to hear your relationship. Like oh, he said, go with the flow. And I'm like, you know what? It's not all, it's not all bad. It's not all bad. This has changed my mind for real. For real. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Wow. Well, I hope you guys have enjoyed that podcast episode. 
Allah is such an incredible force and she has such passion when she speaks so please go and check out her and her cute little family and also as you're listening please 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 I know there's some of you who are listening you always hear me talk about the reviews and you're like yeah whatever but they really really do make a huge difference to me and to the podcast as well so if you can give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts that would be amazing and if you could also say something about which podcast um, stood out to you or impacted you or made you laugh um, that would really help because a written review really helps me to like reach more people with this podcast and it also means I can get more amazing guests as well which is like a huge huge thing for me so yes thank you so much for listening and I'll be back next Tuesday with another podcast